Doubtful Sound Revisited Published December 22, 2019 In January 2018, my father and my editor took a day trip to a remote southern fjords of New Zealand called Doubtful Sound. You get to this fjord by first crossing Lake Manapuri and then catching a bus over the isolated Wilmot Pass. Their adventure led to a post called No Doubts About Doubtful Sound. It's hard to get there but worth it when you do. Some 60 odd years ago, a Britain temporarily resident in New Zealand wrote that. There are just a few areas left in the world where no human has ever set foot. That one of them should be in a country so civilized and so advanced as New Zealand may seem incredible, unless one has visited the southwest corner of the South Island. Jagged razor-backed mountains rear their heads into the sky. More than 200 days of rain a year ensure not a tree branch is left bare and brown, moss and epiphytes drape every nook. The forest is intensely green. This is big country. One day peaceful, a study in green and blue, the next melancholy and misty, with low cloud veiling the tops. An awesome place, with its granite precipices, its hanging valleys, its earthquake faults and its thundering cascades. That quote was apparently inspired by a trip to Doubtful Sound. It was even harder to get there in those days. Until 1965 there was no road across the Wilmot Pass, only a walking track. But people made the effort all the same. We have it easy now. And so, this September last, 2019, I decided to make the same trip. But to treat myself to an overnight cruise instead of a day trip. The weather is really changeable in this area. Apart from being pampered, one of the advantages of spending a night in the sound that in a landscape one day peaceful, a study in green and blue, the next melancholy and misty, with low cloud veiling the tops, you'll have more of a chance to get a view from the past summit and see sunshine on mountains still snow-capped in September on one day, and then on the other, the thundering cascades. A wet day followed by a sunny day was exactly the experience I had. And I'm going to share it with you in this post and the one to follow. But first, in the post, I've included a section of a more detailed New Zealand Department of Conservation map, on which I've sketched the route across Lake Manapuri with red dots, the route across the Wilmot Pass with a continuous red line, and the journey along Doubtful Sound with more red dots. It doesn't show exactly where the boat went among the islands at the mouth, it's more of a guide. I've also indicated a side trip into Crooked Arm, where the boats often go for a change of scene. When the strong westerly winds that prevail south of the 40th parallel south, the Roaring Forties, are blasting down the main part of Doubtful Sound, Crooked Arm is likely to be sheltered and serene with still, reflecting waters. Doubtful Sound is indicated on the map as Doubtful Sound, Patia. The second name, properly Patia, is the historic Maori name for the fjord and part of its official name of Doubtful Sound, Patia since 1998. Murray place names are quite commonly used in New Zealand. But in the case of Doubtful Sound, Patia the tourist literature continues to give prominence to the fjord's English name in view of its long familiarity in the trade, and perhaps because there is a well-known locality in the North Island called Patia as well. Whatever we call it, the fjord is 40 kilometers long, that is to say, 25 miles. The boat trip across Lake Manapuri to get there is nearly as lengthy. And as for the Wilmot Pass between, that would have been a long slog before the road went in. It's big country, all right. There isn't any tourist boat jetty on the lake. Instead, you start out on the Waiau River just south of Manapuri town, from a place with the interesting name of Pearl Harbor. The other Pearl Harbor, obviously. 
The Waiau River drains Lake Manapuri. You head upriver a short distance and then you are on the lake. Hooray! Lake Manapuri has lots of islands, which I've shown in some of the islands in the post. The lake's historic Maori name is Mota Rao, which means hundred islands in a rather loose, figurative sense. I don't think there are actually a hundred islands, but there are quite a few. Though obviously a Maori name also, Manapuri, wasn't bestowed by any Maori but by a Scottish explorer named James Macaro, who seems to have got himself lost. Manapuri was the historic Maori name of a far smaller lake about 50 kilometers to the northeast, a lake now called the South Mavora Lake. This is a lake hardly any larger than a duck pond, a lake so small that it stood in for a river in one the Lord of the Rings movies. I really don't know how Makaro could have got the two confused. Anyhow, proceeding further along Manapuri as I suppose we must now call the Hundred Island Lake, we sped past increasingly epic-looking mountains that pressed in from the sides. Until eventually we got to the power station, the impetus for constructing the road over the Wilmot Pass. There's not much to see above ground. This belies the fact that the Manapuri power station is one of the most heroic engineering achievements in the history of the world. For one thing it's in the middle of nowhere. And for another thing it's just about all underground, in caverns blasted out of the heart of the mountain range. The power station takes water from Lake Manapuri at an elevation of 178 meters or nearly 600 feet above sea level, drops it straight down into a turbine hall close to sea level, and then discharges it through a lengthy tunnel under the mountains into doubtful sound at a place called Deep Cove, where the road also terminates and the tourist boats tie up. The bottom of Deep Cove is apparently carpeted with all the leftover explosives from the vast construction job, since tossing stuff you didn't need into the nearest body of water was standard operating procedure in those days. That's something to think about as you board the boat. Fortunately Deep Cove is, indeed, rather deep. And so we crossed the Wilmot Pass to Deep Cove. I didn't get much of a view going over as the weather was bad. I got a good view coming back, though so I'll include some photos from the pass in the next post. The thundering cataracts that that bloke mentioned, were in full spate. At Deep Cove, I boarded the ship that would be my home overnight. I'd booked a bed in a four-person bunkroom and discovered to my delight that I was the only person in the bunkroom. As it was I was only paying half price for an off-season special available only to local residents. So things were getting better and better from my point of view, though probably not that of the company. In the blog post, there's a video taken on board, as I wander through the bridge and out onto the foredeck. Traveling out into the sound, was a study in monochrome. Only a bit of yellow fabric at the bottom left makes it clear that one of these images is a color photo. In my father's Scots dialect, it was a dreek day. Dreek or not, we stopped for a while to go kayaking in the still waters of the Crooked Arm, where I took a few more photos. I shot a video from the kayak being careful not to drop my cell phone into the briny. Or not so briny, as there is a layer of tea-colored, mostly fresh water that floats on top. Screening of the light allows many comparatively deep-water species to flourish within the range of recreational divers, and this is something else that New Zealand's fjords are famous for. At a place called Harrison Cove on Milford Sound, which is north of Doubtful Sound and fully accessible by road, though Harrison Cove itself requires a boat trip, you can even descend into an underwater, air-conditioned viewing chamber to observe species normally seen at a depth of 500 meters, though in reality you are only 10 meters down. This facility is called the Milford Discovery Center and Underwater Observatory. 
Paddling about in the crooked arm was also a good chance to get some better photos of the ship, which is quite funky looking. It was operated by Real Journeys, one of three firms that operate cruises on Doubtful Sound right now, the others being Fjordland Cruises and Go Orange. Eventually we got to the end of the fjord, where it joined the open sea. Doubtful Sound is about 400 meters deep for most of its length, shallowing to about 100 meters near the entrance, after which the coast drops away to about 1,000 meters and then 2,000 meters, just like that. Though the land inshore was all once above sea level, with glaciers flowing along the surface, the fjords of southwest New Zealand were scraped out to depths of hundreds of meters below sea level by mountain glaciers that flowed along them during the ice ages, a phenomenon called overdeepening. That's what a fjord is, by the way. An overdeepened inlet of the sea created by a vanished glacier in a country that was once heavily glaciated or perhaps still is, such as Norway, southern New Zealand, southern Chile, Iceland or Greenland. Such an inlet normally has very steep sides that keep going down to the bottom, which normally is flat as the sides are steep, a form that is called a U-shaped valley if the bottom is above sea level, as it is at Yosemite for instance. No matter what country it's in, the entrance of a fjord is usually shallower than the main part. One reason for this is that glaciers start running out of puff toward the end. Another is that the end also gets choked with rocks that the glaciers have transported down from the hills and scraped up from the bottom of the fjord, a great heap of boulders and gravel called the terminal moraine. In the case of Doubtful Sound, much of the end of the fjord is actually above sea level in the form of a multitude of rocky islands. Captain Cook named the Sound Doubtful Bay because all these rocks made it look a bit dubious. He wasn't sure if there was a fjord there because he didn't dare come close enough to check. Later on, when European sailors came to realize that Doubtful Bay was was a fjord, though they called it a sound, the honor of mapping its interior fell to one of the last explorers in the Pay of Spain, an Italian named Alessandro Malaspina. And so Doubtful Sound, Patia has all these Spanish-sounding names like Febrero Point, Bausa Island, Marcaciones Point, and so on, almost as if you were in Chile which has similar fjords. The islands that are a bit easier to clamber on to have an abundance of seals on top. The main species in Doubtful Sound is the New Zealand fur seal, which also occurs in Australia. Known as Kakano in Maori, these fur seals were nearly hunted to extinction in the 1800s. And so the sun went down. We tied up in a sheltered spot where we were served a lovely and social dinner, another highlight of the overnight trip. Day 2 was a much less street day as it was to turn out. We departed from our quiet anchorage at the mouth of Doubtful Sound, Patia. It was a beautiful sunny day, not like the day before. Wow, I said, just wow. I saw a sort of river of cloud flowing down the side of a hill near the entrance to the sound. Very strange. We sailed back up the sound. And into the crooked arm again, to get some more images of still water. And then on the way back over to Lake Manapuri I got a clear view of the Wilmot Pass. Wow again. And so, back to Manapuri via the power station, where there is an interesting information display. And so my trip concluded. It was well worth it. By the way, my first book, A Maverick Traveller, is available on the front page of this website as a free PDF or EPUB download, if you sign up for the mailing list. Note. The quote about places where people have not yet set foot is attributed to Viscount Cobham, the ninth Governor-General of New Zealand, 1957-1962. It is widely circulated online and has probably been taken from a book called Lord Cobham's Speeches.